Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by the Boss Builders. That would be us. Hey, for this year, we are really ramping up our training options. Now, post-COVID, we did a lot of virtual work. We had our Art of the Great Boss Masterclass. We had, I think, 15 or 20 different cohorts go through it, and we still have cohorts going through it today. It's a great program, one session a month for 13 months. But we also realize that audiences are ready for us to come back on the road and visit them at their house. And so we are implementing a couple of new programs. Well, they're not really new. Well, one of them actually is very new. The first one is our two-day driving results on-site management skills workshop. This involves learning how to manage people, learning about yourself, learning how to motivate, lots of exercises we do together, lots of opportunities to practice. Our second option, though, is a new hybrid option. And so what we wanted to do with this one is to establish an entire year with an organization. Three in-person, one-day on-site visits with virtual sessions in between. So in the in-person sessions, we can really work as groups. We can do some practice, some skill practice, and then we can touch base throughout the year with those individual virtual sessions. So that is our second option. We're obviously going to continue our Art of the Great Boss cohorts. But finally, you can also license and teach our curriculum. We've developed it to the point where really anybody could step in. There's a very robust train the trainer guide. I will also come on site and teach you how to teach the curriculum. So you could do it at your own time, your own pace, your own schedule. For information on all of these programs, just check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, hey, I know it's been a few weeks since you've had a new episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We kind of taper off a little bit when summer comes and a lot of folks don't want to listen to our technical things. They much rather listen to, I don't know, a good book or maybe a true crime podcast. But for those of you that are not going to be taking a lot of time off and you really want to be effective in your job, hey, we will continue to run some episodes for you. Today, what we'll be focusing on is instructional design. And so my good friend Stacy Randall is our guest today. I met Stacy about a year or so ago with a client company we were working with and she was employed there. And so we actually worked a little bit together on the project we did. And then I was so impressed with her that I asked her if she wanted to do a little work with us. And so she's done some facilitation, but her real gift and real strength, well, she's got many of them, but maybe the biggest one is instructional design. This was great for me. I've heard the term, I didn't know exactly what they did, but now that I do, I can tell you that you would benefit by having an instructional designer on your team, especially if you're putting out content that requires subject matter experts. That's all I'm going to tell you because I don't know anymore. She knows everything, so you know what we need to do now. Let's make sure that personal items tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Stacy Randall, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mac. I am so excited to be here. This is 
truly a pleasure. Well, it is really a fun time for me. So Stacy, I'll uh, kind of just tell you how we met. We met through a, a client that I was working with you were a part of for a while and uh, I got to know you and I was immediately impressed with the way you could work a crowd. You really should think about a second career as a game show host. <laughs> you were really, really good. And uh, and then with this project, we would have pre-work and I would see you facilitate the pre-work. And I thought, gosh, she's really, really good. And so one day I took the chance and I said, hey, would you be interested in moonlighting and maybe doing a few workshops for us? And it was kind of our secret. And you did. You filled in and you did a great job. So it's been a pleasure getting to know you, but even more importantly, getting to work with you. But what I didn't realize, I guess, Stacy, is that your background really is in instructional design. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. That is a topic that, frankly, I don't understand very well. I am not exactly sure what instructional designers do. I mean, do they put together PowerPoint decks? I have no idea. So today I will learn, but maybe more importantly, the audience might learn and say, you know what, I might actually need to look into this a little bit more. So Stacy, I'll ask you those questions, but I do want to start with your background. So tell us how you got started. What drew you into this? And, you know, what are some things that are, uh, you're working on now? So what drew me, how I got started in instructional design is um, quite a story. I started off in higher education and I live in central Ohio. We have a number of colleges and universities, but there's one that I honed in on that I liked what I saw with this university. And it took me applying three times before I got a job there. And once I did, I was working with the adult population in their continuing studies department. And I just found that it was my passion. I started off in financial aid, went into advising, went into career advising. Um, I also taught courses uh, to traditional and to adult learning students, uh, to some of the professors and definitely the staff. Um, I actually, when they closed their continuing studies department at the university after many, many years, I wanted to hone in on my management and my budgeting skills because uh, those were some weaknesses for me, but I wanted to hone in on those skill sets. So what I did, Mac, was I migrated to the library in the position of assistant to the library director, where I was able to hone in on the management and budgeting skills, but the library director also saw that I was a trainer and she loved that. And I was able to train the students, train people in the communities, create trainings, bring in subject matter experts, SMEs, for a program that I co-created. Um, it was our Bliss Brown, a Brown Bag Library Information Summer Sessions, and they were the Summer Blisses, and that's what we called them. It was that. Bliss. They were popular. The staff, everybody loved them, and they would bring their lunch and come and sit in for an hour, and we had subjects on various topics uh, of interest, and we brought in the SMEs, the subject matter experts, and it was phenomenal. It was truly outstanding. Uh, but I also taught um, the students, um, you know, on their onboarding because we would hire around 30 students per year. So I onboarded the students. I onboarded our, um, our volunteers that we had there and our GAs, uh, those GA students as well, the graduate assistants. Um, so it was a wonderful opportunity. I really, truly enjoyed it. But there was not much room for me to move elsewhere within the university, and that's when I migrated and said, I really want to go full on with the learning and development. I think I have enough of the budgeting and, uh, and such. 
So that's when I moved on to learning and development and then into instructional design where you met me, um, overseeing learning management systems. That's something I always did even at the university, working at Goodwill Columbus and um, where you met me at COPC as well, Central Ohio Primary Care. So doing those things, but I've worked with learning management systems, um, always did training and um, I love working with traditional students. Adult learners are truly my passion. I love working with them. But that is my background. That's how I got started. And that's how I got from A, and I'm not going to say the Z because um, it's not over for me. So from A to about L, M, maybe in there. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like the halfway part, point, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. good. good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I guess what I really find fascinating is that you really made an attempt to learn the business piece of it first, the budgeting and all those things. Those are the very uh, boring things for creative people. How did you keep yourself focused on like this mundane math crap? Um, Excel, uh, parts of Excel were exciting to me to learn working in Excel and learning more about the spreadsheets and um, I am a firm believer in what I refer to as YTU, YouTube University. Every and anything you want to learn, you can do so on YouTube. If you want to learn how to tie a shoe, there's someone teaching a video on that. But I've watched a number of YouTube videos regarding Excel, and, um, and I learned about creating the, the spreadsheets and about creating the, um, the pie charts and the different charts and, and the data that you put in and um, accessing the data quickly. And the YouTube videos made learning Excel exciting and made it fun, um, importing the data from Word into YouTube and other uh, Microsoft products. Uh, it was just wonderful. Uh, I just really enjoyed that. So there were parts of it, yes, that were mundane, but for the most part, it was just that learning curve. I believe that we're all lifelong learners and that there's something for all of us out there that we can learn, that we can gravitate towards. And that's what I found. So it made it, um, well, yes, it, parts of it mundane, but for the most part, it was exciting and it was a wonderful process to uh, learn and to do. Yeah, I love it. Learning just for the sake of learning and then learning for practical. But uh, no, that's a, that is a great passion to have, to always learn something new. Well, let's focus on instructional design because I've heard, you know, ISD, I've heard people that do it. Uh, I've written a lot of my own courses, but you know, in my mind, you put information together in a worksheet, put information together in a slide deck and you're done. Throw a few video clips, come up with some stories and there's your course. That's how I've always done it. I really didn't know that there was actually a field that that's what you do. And I suspect it's a little bit more detailed and in-depth than what I've been doing. So take us into the world of instructional designers. Tell me what it is and what they do. Yes, it is a little bit more in-depth from what it is that you do. So instructional de designers have a plethora of skill sets. Um, instructional designers do a little bit of everything from storyboarding where they're writing um, out the content. You work with that SME, that subject matter expert, and they tell, they come to you and they say, I want a training on healthcare, on wellness and being. And so they're the expert in wellness and being, and you're the creative content provider, if you will. So they come to you with this information and they say that this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. So 
you're doing project management from start to finish you're going to oversee this project of creating this learning content from them you have to have those communication skills because the communication skills are paramount because you're working with that sme you're working with stakeholders you want to know who the audience is so you want to create this content this learning content for that audience that you're going to be working with and you struck a nail on the head when you said you're a creative person and yet you did budgets People that do instructional design are very creative. And then there's a number of people that do instructional design that they're also nerds. And there's a nerdiness to them because instructional design, there's a lot of technology that is involved with it. If you're dealing with some of the um, technical components and some of the uh, learning modules, not learning modules, but some of the learning components, such as Captivate or Articulate or, um, you know, Storyline, um, you know, the LMSs that you're dealing with, there's so much to it. I once made a comment when I was in a workshop and um and i said i'm not a programmer but i feel like i'm programming some of the tools and resources that i'm using and the response was you are a programmer and you are programming wow. <laughs> and that's exactly what you're doing here um yes because you're right you know there's code that you're writing with some of these uh, products and everything so it, it can be pretty deep but um, being technically savvy is definitely a huge component of that and um and you're creating videos so uh, you're recording videos you're editing the videos so you're using edit video editing software and paramount to everything is that you have to be organized you must be highly organized and that's where that project management comes in because chances are whatever training you're working on you have a deadline you've got a deadline that you have to meet and you want to finish the product of the project prior to that deadline because now you've got to show that project to your client and that could be an internal client you know working within that organization they could be external but now you're sharing what you have with that client that storyboard that you've created they want to make sure everything matches up with that storyboard that they approved of down to the knowledge check quizzes if um, they don't answer a question correctly on slide four maybe it's taking them back to slide two whatever that may be all that's within that storyboard so they want to make sure all that information is accurate and correct so prior to the deadline you want to share what you have with them and you want to get their approval they may like it or say well you know can we tweak it here tweak it there and now you're going back and you're making those changes before you come back and present it to them again and of course the final step is whether or not you're going to put it on the lms that learning management system or do they want it on their web page how do they want that you know present it to the audience it's intended for so you basically take that project from start to finish now as the instructional designer, are you going to be teaching this thing or is somebody else going to teach this? Or is it just like a discombobulated voice that narrates? How do these typically go? Because you a little... video, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of all of that. So I've done instructional design where the subject matter expert has sent to me their PowerPoint deck and said, can you make this pretty? Can you do something with this? And keeping it in PowerPoint, and that's what I do. I make it pretty for them. And I get it back to them 
um, and with instructions on now you can record. You can record if you want your image on the, you know, on the PowerPoint presentation, or you can just do a voiceover, however it is that you want to do this. Um, so you can do it that way. Some people are using, believe it or not, AI, the artificial intelligence to do their recordings. Some programs come with the, you know, voiceovers that you can choose. Do you want that phenomenal British accent that we all love? You know, do you want a little country, you know, slang in there? Uh, what is it that you want? Um, for that voiceover, you can do it yourself. Uh, some people hire individuals, you know, some of the people that I'm connected to, they're voiceover artists and experts, and that's what they do is voiceover. Um, so yeah, you can do a little bit of everything. I've created projects that um, uh, the subject matter expert has come to me, the SME, and said, this is what I want. This is what I need. I create the project. They want me to do the voiceover, post it, do everything. Um, they're like, you're the expert, and I'm coming to you. And speaking of which, a lot of times, you'll get someone that'll come to you, and they say they want a project. They say this is what they want. But as instructional designers or learning and development specialists, whatever title it is that we're going by because there's many titles out there for the learning professionals. We usually know the audience best. You know, we, we know we've been doing this for a while. So we know how to present this. We know what it should be. And it's okay for anyone that's listening out there that's doing instructional design or you're hiring an instructional designer seeking one out within your organization to assist you to take their expert advice and their opinion when they say we should do this instead of that um, because they know best. And if there's something that you want to do and you said, oh, you know, let's just maybe have three quiz questions. And they said, there's a great deal of content here. You know, what do you want the learners to do? What are the learning objectives? Let's make sure they're learning. Instead of three, we need to have maybe have six. Why don't we double that and increase that, that, um, that quiz, if you will, to more questions. So we make sure that the learners are identifying and understanding what it is that you want for them to learn and what you want them to grasp from this training. That's great. Now, so let's just say it was a one day program on wellness and you had the SME who was going to do this and maybe you were going to do the voiceover. How long would a project like that take from like start to finish from the day the expert comes in and says, build me a training program to the day that person or you pushes the launch button? What is a typical turnaround? It honestly depends. So when you say a one day project, um, I'm hearing more so like a live presentation because most trainings that an instructional designer is going to do are going to be on the LMS or going to be on a web page somewhere, um, okay. some training well, portal well, that go, individuals can go to. Let's go to that because I think that's where most people are at. So Stacy, number one, how long is a recommended virtual thing? And then let's take that recommended and ask the same question about time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the time depends on what it is that the SME is looking for. The number of um, images, do they want a video inserted? Is there a quiz with it? Um, depending on the content that they give to me that they want in that training depends on the length of it. I've had um, SMEs give me slides, and I'm not making this up, that have 145 slides to them. 
Yes, 145. My recommendation for something is uh, like that is why don't we break this up into bite size and chunk it and break this up into, um, you know, three different trainings. Um, because having someone's attention span that long, it's going to be pretty rough on the trainee to sit through that type of a training. But if we can chunk it, if we can break that down, that's what's going to be better. We want to keep a training between 20, 25 minutes. And I get that there are some trainings that are an hour long um, and you're really putting that content out there giving the audience what it is that they want and what they need for that type of a training that they're sitting there for an hour because the tension span for trainees is just not usually there um, and uh, so yeah you definitely want to make sure but it can take a project just depending I last year knocked out in a, in a period of three months, I completed six different trainings for SMEs in a period of three months is what I did. Yeah. And that was a lot. I was kicking butt doing that and to complete those and to get them done. Um, and everybody wants it done now. The, you know, the deadline was yesterday. It never fails. So it's important to be upfront with people and let them know I'm in the middle of completing a task. I will get to your project and here's the, you know, you want it done in three months because you always want to find out from them. When is your launch date? When does this go live? When do you want this on the LMS? So depending on when they want that, if they tell you on September 1, this is when I want this on the LMS, I am working to complete that project by the first week in August because there's always going to be some tweaking that needs to be done. Um, some, you know, I just like being prepared for what can, will, and sometimes does happen. So I'd rather err on the side of caution and complete a project ahead of time, way ahead of time, just to allow them to, sh you know, to look at this and maybe share it with their stakeholders to say, this is what I got back. What does everyone think? We're going to launch this and see if there is any feedback from them. So it really just depends. But a long answer to your question, but um, it could be anywhere from two weeks to, you know, three, four months, just depending upon the complexity of that project and what it is that they're looking for. So when you're building this, Stacy, do you just kind of do this in secret and then it's due and then the person says it and says brilliant or do you bring them in throughout? Because my fear, because I've had this happen, like, oh, I spent 10 hours on this. Oh, well, like 10% of it is good, you know? Like the rest we didn't like, but this. So it's, and I've learned, double check, right? So you don't get too yes. far in. Have you experienced anything like that or uh, do you just, do they trust your work and it's perfect at the end? It's gone both ways. And this is why one of the competencies that instructional designers must have is communication. When you're working with that SME, you need to ask the right questions. You always want to know who is that targeted audience? What is the time frame? Um, what exactly is it that you're looking for visually with this? What kind of you know animation, gamification? You want to ask those questions. That storyboard is important because all of those elements are going to be included within that storyboard that you're creating for your client and um, you know the other component to that is yes I've created trainings that I thought communication was clear only to complete the training and it was not and you're back to the drawing board back to square one and it's extremely extremely frustrating 
Um, it really is. For myself, I like a nice quiet space when I work. I'm easily distracted. So I see a shiny object or I'm like, oh, squirrel, that's me. <laughs> I'm that person. So I need a quiet place. So if there's phones ringing, a lot of talk, a lot of chatter, that could be very disruptive for me. I can't speak to other instructional designers. Some people do fine with a lot of noise. Some people can listen to music and create that's not how I work. I need silence. I need to get in that mode and just dive in and go and just have at it. And when I'm in that zone, I can literally um, sit for hours. And I said, um, hesitating there because it's not healthy. It's not good. But I can find myself just literally sitting for hours and just going at it because the creative juices are flowing and you don't want to stop. It's almost like when you're, you know, riding your bike and you're out there doing 30 miles and, you know, however far it is that you're going and you're riding and you just want to continue Want that. You got that momentum. You want to keep going. When you stop, it's hard to rebuild that momentum. Sometimes you get it going, but it can just be challenging for you. And that's what it's like when I'm in the zone with creating and, uh, and getting that content and everything. That's great. Well, I have two more questions for you. So the first one is, if somebody is listening to this, maybe they are getting ready, they're get, they just graduated high school, they're getting ready for college, and they think they know what their major is going to be, but now they somehow stumbled upon this episode, and they're thinking, God, instructional design. I wonder if that's for me, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to get in front of a group and do training. I don't know if I can do that. I'm, I'm terrified of that, but instructional design sounds intriguing. So, Stacy. What kind of person would probably be drawn to this and what kinds of things in that person would probably really connect to the world of instructional design? That's a very interesting question, Mac, and I love that question. When I worked as a career advisor, one of the things that I always recommended to people if they were able, and most of the times were able to do so, but it's a volunteer. By volunteering, we learn what we like and what we don't like. You can volunteer and work with animals, work with seniors, work with children, work outdoors, work indoors, and you get to know yourself a lot better, especially for a student, someone that is in high school or someone that's transitioning into a new field. You can get involved in Toastmasters, and Toastmasters, for those that don't know, they work with you on your presentation skills, your speech skills. So if you're nervous about speaking in public, they're going to help you that in the bud where you're going to be speaking before audiences of four or five hundred people in no time they're going to teach about the different you know types of speeches that are out there and everything um, also get on linkedin and join the groups that you think you're interested in um, by joining the various groups on linkedin and collaborating with these people and connecting with them you're going to see is this my tribe are these my people you know, is this something I'm interested in? You can also look at jobs. So I'll backtrack. Look at job listings. Look at job listings for learning and development, for instructional design. See what companies are looking for and ask yourself, do I see myself doing this? Is this a career I want to have? And any skill sets that you're missing out on, print that job out, highlight those skill sets. Now ask yourself, what am I willing to do to get those skill sets? 
Is that LinkedIn? Is that taking a course? Is that going to YTU, YouTube University, and checking out some videos? What exactly are you doing for yourself? Getting a certificate, um, an associate's degree, a bachelor's? What are you doing? And get some training under your feet and ask yourself along the way, you'll know, I love this. I like this. I'm enjoying this this role that I'm on. I'm passionate about it. You'll know soon enough whether instructional design is for you. Um, and I couldn't emphasize enough, like I said, just joining those groups. And here's something that's key. It's key, key, key. I don't care what your age is, get a mentor. If you have a mentor, a men having the right mentor in your life can make all the difference for you. And what I share with people is that if you are Black, Asian, um, Indian, you want to make sure that you get a mentor in the field that is Black, Asian, or Indian because you want to know what was their path getting there. But you don't want to limit yourself because you can have more than one mentor. Have that white male mentor. Have a white female that's a mentor. Just get a mentor. Get someone that can guide you, that can, you know, you can share um, any problems that you're having, any barriers that you're, in, you know, that you're encountering along the way. Someone that you can talk to about this process that has been in your shoes and they know what it's like and they can guide you along the way. Um, you can find mentors through various groups on LinkedIn. You can reach out to someone that you see that you admire and just say, you know, I've been watching your work, watching what it is that you do, and I really, truly admire you. And I know you appear to be very, very busy, but would you have time to mentor me? I'm really interested in this field. You would be surprised the number of people that would say, I would be honored. I can't believe you're asking me. Um, but having a mentor in the field, I, I couldn't enough. I don't care what your field is, instructional design, whatever, but mentors are are awesome. We need them. I can tell you, Stacy, if you were my high school guidance counselor, I'd never join the Navy. That's more <laughs> advice right there than I ever got. And man, if you're listening to this, you are pretty lucky. You might want to rewind this a few times and listen. That is some great advice. So now let's transition to the company who's been listening to this or the, mm -hmm. the maybe the I don't know, the HR person saying, you know what, we really need to get us an instructional designer. All right, what should we be looking for as we start taking a look at candidates? Absolutely. Oh, great question, Mac. I love this question also. So for an organization, for a company, if you want to win at instructional design and have that outstanding instructional designer, you first and foremost want to look at your organization and consider your needs. What do you truly want that individual to do for you? So as an organization, what are your learning needs? Do you want them to create content? Do you want them to recreate? Instructional designers do a lot of recreating. They take what they get from the SME and they're recreating that learning content. So are they recreating content? Are they overseeing the learning management system? Because some are doing both. They're the instructional designer who's overseeing that LMS and they're putting the content on the LMS. So what is it that you really truly want that individual to do? I would say to any company, any organization, assess yourself, look internally at who you are, what it is that you need, um, what qualifications you want this person to have. A lot of companies I see as, you know, as I'm looking at various 
job descriptions out there. I see where companies are hiring um, instructional designers or they'll label it as a learning specialist. And really they're looking for an instructional designer. When you look at, they want the storyboarding, they want you have experience with Captivate, Articulate. They want you creating content. They want you to have five to seven years of experience. And then they're saying, oh, and we're gonna start you off at $43,000. And you know, you're just, you're not gonna get good qualified individuals for that, um, for that pay. Pay people what they're worth. Because if not, you're only going to be repeating this process um, year after year after year. Do you, as organization, do your research? Because there are some organizations that are not aware of what an instructional designer should be paid. So research, you can research it on LinkedIn as an organization. You can research that on, um, on Indeed if you need to. Um, you know, various... Um, 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 job platforms, career platforms. So find out what an instructional designer should be paid and have that pay range. And um, do you want that job to be remote? A lot of instructional design work can truly be done remotely. But I will also say to the instructional designers out there, working remote isn't everything is cracked up to be. You know, a hybrid situation can be a great situation. Remote is wonderful. In the office is wonderful. You know, I love being in the office when I can collaborate and work with my colleagues and see them face to face. But I also like having that quiet nook that I can go off to where I can be creative and where I can work. Um, so if you're working remotely, I know for me, I take more steps when I'm in the office and I'm moving more when I'm in the office and what I do at home, because at home I'm on that, my keyboard, I'm just going at it and I'm just creating and designing and doing what it is that I love doing. And before I know it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's six o'clock. You don't even realize the time it's seven o'clock because you're still working. Um, so, but figure out, is it, is it possible to be remote? Is it possible for this to be a hybrid position? You know, is it in the, you know, is it in the office? What is it that you are looking for, for that individual? Um, and find out when you are hiring, you know, how do they learn best? What is their, you know, um, what, and, and how can they learn so that, they're going to be putting out the best product and the best content for you as an organization. Do they need a quiet corner? Are you putting them in a cubicle? Do they have their own office? I mean, what does that look like for them? Are they allowed to go elsewhere and get away? Um, I worked for a company when, believe it or not, I would go to a Giant Eagle Marketplace because they had a second floor where they had this full-on space and I would just take my laptop, I'd go there, and I would just work away. And there were a lot of college students, but everyone was just quiet and working. It wasn't noisy. And it seemed like a very collaborative environment, but yet one where you're working solo, if that makes any sense, because everybody's working and you feel energized in that environment. And that worked for me. Um, I would go sometimes to Barnes and Noble and I would pull books off the shelf that I would need. And then I would take those books. I wouldn't buy them. I'm, I'm admitting that. But I would get those books and I would go and find my quiet corner and utilize those books and that material and start creating learning content. Um, you know, training guides and various things that I read. But I had the resources right there at Barnes and Noble that I needed. And it was nice and it was quiet.
Yeah, yeah. Creative people get creative in where we go and what we do for that creativity. And this is like, yeah, there's some things like, man, that's way out there, but they're all good, Stacy. They're all good. Well, last thing we got to cover, I guess, and I'm going to let you go. But uh, if somebody's listening to this today and says, wow, I've learned more in this 30 minutes than I've ever learned before, but I know there's a lot more I don't know. What is the best way for our audience to reach out to you, Stacey? Would it be to connect with you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. I am on LinkedIn, Mac. Um, Yes. So I have my LinkedIn profile. That would be the best way to reach me, the best way to connect with me. And I welcome anyone to do so. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Well, I'll go ahead and put that. I'll hyperlink it up in the show description. If you're listening to this today, uh, my hope is that you realize instructional designers actually do a lot of stuff, stuff you probably never imagined, but stuff you absolutely need. And Mm -hmm. my recommendation is take this seriously. Reach out to Stacy. Stacy, thank you so much for sharing some of your expertise and experience with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Mac, this was a phenomenal experience. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years. And I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs, More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.